G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. A biblical perspective on life, culture and current events. This is 2020 on Vision. And my guest on the line today is Professor John Whitehall. He's just returned from a month in the Ukraine, looking at the effect of war on children. He's deeply inspired by his time there as he observed the actions of the evangelical churches. He was deeply moved by the practical expressions of Matthew 25, welcoming the mass of people who've been displaced from the war zones in the east to the relative safety in the west. Indeed, many churches have turned, turned themselves over to looking after strangers, and uh, many are growing in the process. Registrations are increasing in the seminaries, and particularly young people who are stepping up and out of their faith. This story needs to be told. It's a privilege to welcome to the airwaves uh, Professor John Whitehall. How are you, mate? I'm good, thank you. I'm happy to be here. Now, it's great to uh, connect with you. I've, I've noticed that you've been on uh, Vision a couple of times in the past with Neil Johnson, and I know you've talked a lot about gender confusion and the Australian Christian Lobby. You've been involved with them speaking up about gender confusion. It's great to hear a professor like yourself uh, speaking up about biblical truth. Uh, we might get to that topic a bit later in the program, but today the focus is Ukraine. Before we get to that, let's find out a bit of your story. What's your background? Where were you born and raised? Uh, in Sydney. Um, under difficult circumstances, my father was killed before I was born. Uh, he was in the army in Singapore. Um, so uh, my mother was uh, a great person. And tell us a bit about your uh, faith journey. Were you, were you raised uh, attending church from a young fella? Yeah, my mother w was responsible for that. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, amongst my most cherished early memories was her singing to me, Christmas carols, quite frankly. And she made sure that I went to uh, the Sunday school in, in an Anglican church. And then I, moved, then I half grew up with another family and they were in the Baptist church. And I have remained in the Baptist Church. Fantastic, mate. And uh, tell us a bit about uh, this recent trip to the Ukraine. Uh, tell us all about it. Right, uh, so there's, a, there's an organisation, Christian Medical Fellowship, uh, in Australia and in other countries, including Ukraine. So then there's an overarching international organisation. So when the war broke out uh, it's like last year, uh, we were in contact with with our brother or sisterly organisation in Ukraine, and we were praying regularly for them, and indeed uh, supplying uh, money uh, that helped them buy medicines and other things. So then, along the way, it seemed like a good idea, uh, me being a paediatrician, um, that we would go over there and see the the effect on the children. Uh, with the help of that organisation. So I went with my wife and with a GP, uh, a good friend of ours, uh, Lara Wieland, from up in your, your neck of the woods uh, in Atherton. Uh, so we three went there uh, for an for a, 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 trip, a trip which had kind of been planned out by the Ukraine branch of the Christian Medical Fellowship. 
And tell us a bit about the uh, the impact on the children. Uh, you know, being a paediatrician, I'm curious to know, um, you know, from a medical perspective, but also from a spiritual perspective, what was the impact that the war was having on children? Well, in the, the first stages, when there was a lot of uh, bombing out in the east and artillery and so forth, the the people then moved to the west, but many children were either burnt or damaged by shrapnel and so forth, so that the children's hospitals in the west, in Lviv, for example, uh, had a tsunami of, uh, of casualties to look after, which, which they did. Uh, many of the children have subsequently, for example, if they've lost a leg or, or whatever, having physiotherapy and, and further care in other countries like in Poland. So the acute damage, uh, the, the time of acute damage is less, but people have now, because people have moved from the east to as refugees to the west. And now it's then the psychological issues of being dispossessed, of fear of the war, loss of family members, and, and that sort of thing. So that there is a psychological um, the psychological impact and that continues and then there's also the fear of what, what will happen if the Russians blow up the nuclear reactor for example I went to the children's hospital a few times in Lviv and I was uh, amused is the wrong word but uh, they have a plan what they're going to do if the reactor goes up the ambulances are going to come in this way children are going to be you know, triaged and so forth and if necessary, the the whole hospital then can go underground because that bunk is underneath it. So this is a real fear, and people are still moving from the east to the west. A because the war continues, and B because of the fear of blowing up of the nuclear reactor as the Russians blew up the big dam. That's also caused people to move out of that area. Now we referenced uh, Matthew twenty-five before, you know, and we know it's a, a great passage about caring for our neighbours, uh, caring for the last, the least, and the lost. Uh, tell us a bit about uh, how that chapter of the Bible has impacted you, and how it relates to uh, the Ukraine crisis. Yeah, I was I was really and remain inspired by it. So you've got all these people from the east moving to the west. And, and their, their house has been destroyed, they've got no clothes, they've got no money and so forth. They landed in centres like in Lviv, and I'm, I'm so proud to say, I mean, to say, to admit you're a Baptist is a bit like admitting you've got a contagious disease, right? <laughs> <laughs> so I've never been more proud to be a Baptist. And the Baptist is the big sort of predominant evangelical group. The evangelical church under the Soviet Union uh, was ostracized. You, you really had to be, you were perceived to be a lunatic, and anti, uh, anti the state and so forth. And, and so it was a most unpopular thing, ostracized and uh, made, made fun of and repressed in that sense. Okay, so here's this church. There were the buildings all around. Um, the people came and the churches opened their doors. And uh, and and they and the people moved in. And for example, in the Baptist seminary in Lviv, they were telling me we had people just lying sleep side by side, side by side, in every bit of available floor space. You know, I must have looked a bit sort of unbelieving. And, and, and they said every bit. 
uh, in this room we're in when we're discussing things on the auditorium, the stage, in the corridors, in little moves, in this, there are people everywhere. So in Matthew 25, they welcomed them. It's not just the Baptist Seminary. All these churches, uh, they welcomed them in. They've got no, they've got no clothes, only what they're wearing. So people then gathered clothing for them. They were hungry. How, how are we going to feed them? Now, I spoke with one minister, and he was recounting all this to me, and I, I suppose I tried to be a bit funny or something or other. Stupid is probably the best word. And I said to him, well, how did you feed the 5,000? And uh, he didn't think that was a funny <laughs> at all. He said, I was really, really worried. He said, we had no money, nor do we have food. And he said, I prayed. And, and he said, we hardly had finished praying when the neighbours who had formerly thought that we were sort of lunatics, uh, ostracised lunatics by the state, the neighbours heard and the neighbours brought food and there was enough to eat. And that was the general message to how the neighbourhood people around have, were so positively affected by what the, not only Brickwell communion, not only feeding them and clothing them, they're sick, they run out of medicines. Uh, the Christian Medical Fellowship, for example, runs medical camps in various areas still in the dangerous area where shells are going over their head and all this sort of stuff. They're running, they're running their, their camps. Um, and they're looking after the orphans and, and all those sorts of things. It's truly inspiring. Mm, wonderful to hear about the uh, the church being the hands and feet of Jesus. And I just want to clarify there, mate, there's nothing wrong with saying you're a Baptist. You know, it's very biblical. <laughs> I mean, you know, the Bible says repent and be Baptist. You know, it's it's in there. It's in the Scriptures. <laughs> oh, no, I think it says oh. repent and be baptized. I'm getting mixed up. Uh, but there was John the Baptist as well. There's another Baptist in the Bible. There you go. Uh, but, mate, it's so good to hear of uh, seeing uh, people, uh, you know, the church in action, uh, the church, you know, feeding the hungry, clothing the naked, uh, giving a drink to those that are thirsty, visiting those that are lonely. We know... That's what Jesus was warning us about in Matthew 25. He was saying, you know, many of you uh, are not doing that. And he said, you know, unless you do it for the least of these, you do it unto me. You know, we, we need to make sure the church in the West is doing something uh, to care for those that are doing it tough. So my, my question to you now is, like, now that you're back in Australia, what can we do to help those in the Ukraine? <sighs> Well, practically, um, people could give financial support to the Christian Medical Association over there. And they are a very, very stringent organisation. They do a wonderful job. For example, they have a warehouse and aid comes from various other countries through Christian organisations. They account for every pill. You can see that they get a, a truckload of stuff coming in. They, they categorize what it is, chronicle it all. Then they have a system, people asking, the hospitals ask, can you send these sorts of pills? Uh, they then respond yes, and this is all documented, and it is checked. So not only medicines, but all the other things they get. Um, for example, ambulances. When we were there, there were three ambulances that had come in. Well, they redecked the ambulances, paint them green because they're not so obvious at the front line and so forth. They spend money 
and it, and it is strictly accounted for. None, nothing gets lost on the black market. So I, I, when we're over here, that's one thing. We can support them financially. The other thing is to get the story out. Um, the, here, there's a, in, in the media, there's a kind of a defeatist attitude. Uh, we know best for them, and what we will do is uh, allow the partition of their country. We'll stop the war, and that's going to be in their best interest. But that's not what they say, nor is that what has happened there. In the areas where the Russians have taken over, and the Christian people who tell us all this, um, of, the, of the butchery that occurs, of the vile treatment of, of women, including girls. Um, they all know about that, and they don't want to surrender, nor do they want to give a third of their country, because, okay, you give a third of your country to uh, Mr. Putin, what happens? He rearms and stuff. Does anyone believe, as we should not have believed Adolf Hitler in the Second World War, when he took Austria, then Sudetenland in Czechoslovakia, and blah, blah, blah. We all thought, you know, there's a limit to his his uh, uh, desires, and then suddenly he breaks out and attacks Poland. There's a very good uh, there's a very good precedent there that we should be taking seriously, and I don't believe it's in anyone's best interest to say, okay, well, just just give them the eastern third of the country. So I think we should be more politically astute. I think that we should be uh, praying for the churches there. You know, we went to the big Baptist church in uh, in Kiev. Um, it's only about 100 kilometers, say, south of the border of Belarus. And from there, the Russian tanks came to within about 10 kilometers of the church. So here's a big church. We went there. They're singing, you know, at the top of their voices and uh, all these beautiful people around, young ladies around. Uh, and the Russian tanks came within about... 10 kilometers of that. Now, that's when they were, they found that uh, they, they didn't get a warm welcome, so to speak, and the wreckage is still there. But had they taken over Kiev, what would have happened to all those people? This is a very, very serious business. I've got a very, very, it's a very, very sad thing that's happening. It's a terrifying thing. Um, and uh, we, for us to fatuously say, yeah, okay, we, they should just give in. I spoke with people, and again, on a, on a church visit, um, <laughs> I keep saying again by a Baptist church, right? Uh, I, I, they invited me to go on a church visit to a hospital with a two or three hundred young men, all with amputees. The very last person I spoke with, young man, he would have been in around about early 20s. And I was sitting on the sort of left-hand side of him. His left leg was propped up on the sort of handle of his wheelchair, and the ed end of the stump could be perceived. The stump of his right leg could not be perceived, even though he had short pajamas on. The stump of his left arm could be perceived coming out under here, and he and he's got a right hand. So I asked him, you know, what? Could you please give me your 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 uh, email address. I gave him a bit of paper and, and he's stumbling like this and he, and he apologized. He said, look, you know, I, I'm sorry. I, 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 even though I got a right arm, he said, I'm trying to learn to write. 
I used to be left-handed. So I said, have you got a message for Australia? And he said, yes. Uh, We will fight unto the death. Please send us help to fight with. That was his message. Wow. Uh, We underestimate. We can't understand that. How can we understand it? Mm. I I couldn't understand the grief that people have. Mm. that in the West, they're, they're eating out in the restaurants and they're walking around, the kids are playing in the parks and all that sort of stuff. But then we walk through the central square and there's a funeral for a soldier and they play this really, really piercing version of the last sort of post. And, and I just, I've never been so struck. Mm. Everybody stops. Mm. Uh, some people are kneeling. Everyone's crying. I mean, hard not to cry. Really, really. Yeah. And you realise that okay, I, I was watching them have you know meals and that, but just underneath the surface there is great pain, and great suffering. And I'm proud to say the church, the evangelical church. I can't speak for the Orthodox ones and so forth. I didn't. I didn't to talk with them. But the evangelical churches are, are there. And it's not just the leaders of the church, young people. I was, I was really encouraged by young people. There's an orphanage, which is not a good word, but orphan under their, their definition, not someone who's lost parents, but children who have been abandoned or taken away by the state. So they're state-run institutions. And the kids are there. So these are already disturbed kids. And many of them were taken by busload from the east uh, to centres in the west. Okay. So who goes to visit them? Young people from the church. It's amazing. I went with a group of uh, young girls. I mean, <laughs> young girls to me, I guess they're in there. Twin level like students. So they, they're there. They're, they've got all the games organized for the kids. They're all running around in circles, jumping in circles, dancing, sing, singing, you know, tug of war and all this sort of stuff. But they go there three times a week. This is in one particular orphanage. But if they didn't go, there would be no one. And come three o'clock when they go, it was awful because it's over and, and the center's now closed. There's silence. Now, if it wasn't for what the church is doing for those children, there would be nothing. Mm. Well, I'm not critical of the Ukrainian state. They're fighting a war for survival, right? And and there's enough work for everyone. But the young people are very inspiring. Uh, John has been over to Ukraine with the Christian Medical Association. And uh, John has just clarified for me that uh, they didn't send him. He went with, with his own costs. He paid his own way but he partnered with them over there. And he's been telling some amazing stories of churches worshipping, gathering together in the midst of, you know, 10, 10 kilometres away from the bombing, still worshipping, still gathering together and caring for the last, the least and the lost, caring for those children and young people that have been affected uh, by uh, the war. And uh, it's uh, been inspirational. If you want to join the conversation, you can call through on 1-800-316-316. We've got Tony from Greenslopes. How are you, Tony? Very well, Matt. Hello, Professor. Hello. Hello. Yes, look, uh, Matt and uh, Professor John, I, uh, my wife is a Ukrainian from a town called Lutz. It's about 100 kilometres northeast of Lviv. 
know the area very well, been there many times. They got stuck in Ukraine in 2020 with COVID, and it wasn't until the day after the war that I managed to, through a friend in the Czech Republic, to get them out. And they've been back in Australia a year. And every day she thanks God because she has friends and relatives back there uh, who have children who are at school and never knowing when the air raid siren goes off whether, you know, what is going to happen. So what the work Professor is doing amongst those children is fabulous, but there's also the other side of it too where uh, children are not necessarily, they have parents, but the parents fear that, you know, their children may not come home from school or, or kindergarten or daycare or whatever it may be. I, I was just wondering how myself as an individual can help the work that you, your, uh, your uh, people are doing over there at the moment, Professor John. The most important thing I think that you can do, quite frankly, is to support the Christian Medical Fellowship over there in their financial uh, issues. Mm. Uh, they, they are stringent, like I said, they account for everything. And they, they've got the doctors all around. Uh, they know what the needs are. I, I honestly think that that's the most reliable way you could send money uh, to it um, at the moment. And there's not much else you can really do apart from speaking about it and praying about it, of course, but to help them. Can I just say, look, it's a, I'm a pediatrician. I've got six, I had six kids of my own. One, one's gone, died. And um, we got grandchildren, right? I'm with children all day long. When we were over there, I, we first moved in. It was beautiful to see the children. In front of the old um, opera house, for example, there's a flat area of concrete and it's got water jets in it. And the kids I gather there. Yes, yes. They gather there six o'clock in the afternoon. Everyone's ready for the water to come up. The, the, the teenagers in the middle where it's going up 20 feet, little kids around the side tentatively feeling. And there's uh, there's ice creams and, and there's clowns and then there's fairy floss and the kids are all around and this sort of stuff. Um, and, and then the well, very first night we were there, three missiles got through and landed about three kilometres from us. The first one I thought, what's happened? The whole building's falling down. And I didn't know what it was. And then another one came and the sky lit up and we realised. And I was possessed, <laughs> might be the best word, by by a kind of a disgust or, or, or a rage, a, a murderous rage. I, I can't explain the awful feeling I had. It was, oh, my God, what about the children? onto residents and this one of the pastors there only two days ago he said we drones are coming we've never been more frightened uh, I agree this is this is terrorization and people want to want to judge mr being a terrorist yes they are terrorizing the mothers and the fathers. They are terrorizing the children in in Ukraine. Tony, any thoughts on that? It's it's true. My my wife has relatives near Kiev and they have four children. I myself have six children, so I know the feeling and, and you know it's it was part of them adopted and my son with my Ukrainian wife, eight years old, 
and they've got friends over there, and uh, it, the, the, that's what they're looking. You look at the parents' face, they're trying to keep it cheerful for their children, trying to make life as normal, even my own wife, without my, our child, sort of, you know, what's happening in Ukraine. They don't know the depth and the depth of, I won't say despair, but the depth of how long will this go on for, when will this stop? It's uh, prayer, 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 That's I know that, and support where we can. I get into a lot of trouble because I hear someone speaking in Russian and uh, I stick up with Ukraine and it's nearly cost me my life doing that. But anyway, I will keep doing it. Well, Tony, thank you so much for your call today, mate. I appreciate you sharing your thoughts. Yeah, thank you for your time. And Professor John, we'll be praying for you and your team and uh, thank you for going over there and giving your time to... Ukraine. Yes, they don't like saying the Ukraine. It's like saying the New Zealand. <laughs> Same thing. <laughs> okay. Bye. Thank you so much, mate. And we've got Hannah from Albany in WA. How are you, Hannah? Very well, thank you. Thanks for having me. No worries. You got a question or a comment? Yeah, I've got a comment. Um, listening to the the last before the news, um, it's it's obviously really, really sad, especially when Women and children are involved. I mean, any war is sad, but to be that close to missiles and to see the fear, as a mum, I was listening to that and I was thinking, gosh, I'd be wanting to protect my children from that and every little thing that um, you can do to try and make their Christmas happy and all that. But, you know, you, you listen to that and think that's absolutely awful. But it really highlighted to me as well that we, what I've heard in Christian community and in the world and where I, where I drive everywhere, I see you know, pray for Ukraine or save Ukraine or Ukrainian flags everywhere. And I thought it might be good to also discuss how it's, it's Russia is suffering as well, which is a really controversial, I guess, take on this. But I see it as Ukrainian leadership and Russian leadership are, or governments are the ones at fault here. And there are many, uh, like Ukrainians, there are many Russians who don't want this war. War is always a power struggle and a land grab and a money thing. And, and so when you look outside of what's kind of shown on the news all the time, it's always Ukraine is the victim. But so is Russia. So is Russia as a nation. It's just that because Russian government was an aggressor here, we tend to kind of subconsciously lean towards praying for Ukraine. And I just think it's incumbent on Christians to also pray for our Russian brothers and sisters and for Russia to be saved because that's, they're just as important in God's eyes. Wonderful to, sh- uh, to hear your thoughts on this, Hannah. Uh, John, wh- what are your thoughts, mate? Well, well two things. You, you basically seem to be saying that the Ukrainians are somehow or other as much at fault as the Russia, but that, that's like saying the Poles were as much at, at fault as uh, Adolf Hitler when he invaded them. The facts are plain. It was Russia who has invaded and is still invading. That's the first thing. This is a Russian government. Of course, it doesn't pertain to uh, ordinary people. And one of the last things in this world I would like to be is, in fact, uh, a soldier in the front ranks of the Russian army trying to invade. Because uh, according to reports given to me by by various soldiers on, on, on the Ukrainian side, they are appalled by the Russian uh, administration and the Russian sort of authority, the, the indifference to life and limb of their soldiers. One commander who'd actually lost his leg uh, was saying to me uh, that 
the Russians are still fighting the way they did in the Second World War. Well, what's that mean? Um, that they send the first wave of people. And the idea is to use up our ammunition, he was saying, and then to hoodwink us and to make us concentrate on the killing of the first wave as others try to come around and circle from the side. And he said that not only do they get ordered to the first wave, but the second wave coming uh, has orders to shoot those people um, in, in the first wave who've changed their mind. And he said, we were sort of willing to oblige with this massacre. And he said, they can't continue in this way. So it's not only the killing, this indifference to the lives of young Russians, and that they're going to be in pain and their mothers are going to be in pain, their fathers are going to be in pain as anywhere else in the world. But also indifference to their legs. He said that they don't seem to care for their wounded. Um, and whether leave them lying there with a shattered leg, he said, well, that means they're going to get amputated if they indeed survive. So that the evacuation and the care of the casualties. Now, I said, well, you know, how, how can I believe what you're saying? And he looked at me as sort of, well, what an idiot you are. You don't understand uh, modern warfare. He said, we have drones. We watch all this. We, we can see the first waves coming. We know what's happening. We're waiting for them. We're ready for them. We oblige in the killing, but we're too smart. We don't let them come around the side of us and so forth. So there is a carnage of Russian young men. This is appalling. I agree. A young man with a bullet in his neck is as, is as, is as terrible no matter what side he's on. I agree. And mothers crying and weeping and people falling on their knees in grief and tears streaming down the face. It doesn't matter at all whether they're Russian people or Ukrainian people. But having said that, it's the Russians who have invaded, just the same as it was the Germans, uh, the, the Adolf Hitler troops, who invaded Poland. Hannah, any thoughts on that? Yeah, um, yeah, absolutely valid. And But I guess um, my overarching thought in the short time we would have is that I sometimes think it's not always as it's seen, as it seems. I know that before this, Ukraine was seen as, uh, has been voted as, and that's in mainstream news, as the most corrupt nation in Europe. Um, with the sound of freedom having just come out, we know that uh, Ukraine is famous for money laundering, uh, usually America's uh, wealth, and also for trafficking children. Uh, Christine Kane from Hillsong, I know, with A21 was working through that part of Europe and into Romania and so for many many years I've seen that Ukraine for whatever reason whatever stronghold is over that nation has a lot of corruption and I think again it's it's coming back to whilst Russia did invade in this instance or Russian government did it wasn't Germany it wasn't all German people that were baddies it was the Nazi party and so I think my my point would be to come back to, and I've uh, you know I've gone to Kenya and Uganda in in times of politics and seen people stoned to death, and and I've seen horrific um, poverty and what that does to people, and so I empathise with people on both sides, as you said, Professor, um, on on the conflict, but I would come back to, I still would caution all Christians to ensure that they are not accidentally picking up a subliminal message that Russia is bad, pray for Ukraine. I'd be saying, 
pray for our nations, pray for our lands, pray that God will do a healing and pray for Ukrainians and Russians at this, whether it's at a government level to turn hearts. Um, you know, the Bible says the hearts of the king meander like a watercourse, but they're in the hands of the Lord, basically, and he directs them wherever he chooses. So I would be, as Christians, praying for both of these two nations and whoever else is involved in it when, you know, because there's obviously brokering of deals and different people are allies with different people. Something is very endemic and corruption is very bad in these countries. And I don't view one of them as bad as the other, even though in this instance, Russia's invaded. I, I see them both as actually quite well-known corrupt nations. And so whatever is happening there is what we need to be praying because the Bible says we're not battling flesh and blood, but actually powers and principalities of darkness over those places. I just think it's important that we, that we come back to the things that are out of our control are out of our control, but can we pray for them? Yes. So should we pray for both of them? Yes. That's, that's my simplified version of a very complex and nuanced subject, obviously. Okay, I, I agree with that, although I must find it, I, I find it impossible to put any kind of good spin on the government, that is to say, of Mr. Putin, who is raining uh, terror in, in the form of missiles upon the residential areas of civilians in uh, Ukraine. I, I can't get a, around the condemnation of the people who are actually prosecuting and continuing the war. Having said that, I agree that there has been a Soviet mentality in Ukraine. And here it is a good thing. Uh, a number of the young people said that this is our opportunity to do away with the Soviet mentality. And I asked them, well, what is that? Well, they said, well, that's just of corruption. Uh, the morality relates to what is good or bad for the interests of the ruling party, not for any higher authority. And this is a time for us to get rid of the Soviet mentality and indeed what she was inferring we would uh, we would um, we would promote a Christian mentality where there was a higher authority and higher ordeals, the truth and honesty and all this sort of stuff. It is interesting. This this came from young people that this is a time for change, and it was another part of the thing that inspired me about the Christian people um, in in Ukraine. That would be wonderful if out of this conflict. Um, God is working on a bigger, much bigger level thing. If we can see that and agree in prayer with that for them, that could be an amazing outcome from such a horrendous situation. Absolutely. Well, yes. Hannah... Mind you, I have also, in, in the realms of the Christian Medical Association, I have prayed for the Damascus conversion of Mr. Putin. Mm. Wonderful. All right, Hannah, we've got other calls, but thank you so much for your thoughts today. I really appreciate you uh, adding that to the thank conversation. You. No worries. Thank you. And phone lines are open on 1-800-316-316. Shortly, we will pray for Ukraine and Russia. And uh, I believe it also, uh, John, we should be praying for a Damascus Road experience uh, for many involved in the conflict, particularly Putin as well. Uh, and I just want to make a comment. I did hear a quote once that one of the first casualties in any war is the truth. And, uh, of course, we hear what the mainstream media says. Here at Vision, we like to present uh, many different, uh, uh, you know, angles. 
Um, but it all comes back to prayer uh, here at New Hope. It, uh, sorry, here at New Hope. New Hope is my church. Here at Vision, here at Vision, we always like to point back to the Word of God, and the Word of God tells us to pray for all those who are in authority. So we will we will definitely be doing that shortly. Uh, we do have Richard from Alstonville in New South Wales. Uh, g'day, Richard. Uh, g'day. Um, I had uh, two things. Um, first thing I had on my mind was I was listening to the last speaker, and I've heard it a fair bit in the media about um, Ukraine and that, where they talk about, they've tried to spot out Nazism. But if you go back to history, World War One and World War II, um, whether you were fascist, Nazi, or communist, their, their root belief system is, is all, all of their root belief systems, so Stalin, Mussolini, Lenin, any of them, um, Lenin or Hitler, all of their belief system was actually socialism. So whether you're on the left or the right, you still believe in a socialistic system. So when so when you hear say Putin use mind games against um, certain factions in Ukraine, well they both both of the, all of their forefathers pushed the same political system. So I, I feel like that's a plan of the enemy to try and create division in any situation in war. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had that on my had that on my mind as being. Do you find that that is that is an issue? Like the mainstream media will try and portray that. All right, John. What are your thoughts, mate? Um, I think that there's a, a higher order in Mr. Putin's thinking. Uh, you read reports and stuff that he has said and so forth. There is the concept of the motherhood of Moscow and that there were traditional lands, uh, in a number of which the people were speaking Russian, but there was a traditional ownership. It, indeed, he, he says this is a Christian concept, and, and that this, these lands were not only given to the Christian people in Moscow, uh, but it was their responsibility to maintain control and so forth. So uh, the Russian Orthodox Church is of that kind of opinion as well. So he, it, he is doing it, you could say, not just simply for socialism, but he's doing it for a religious purpose, that he has been appointed by God in the way that they used to argue the Tsar was appointed by God in order to bring about the, not the maintenance and the development of Mother Russia. Now, Mother Russia, by their definition, takes in Belarusia, takes in uh, Ukraine, Moldavia, and indeed parts of uh, Poland and indeed Lithuania. So that uh, it is unreasonable if this is his motivating. And how would I know what's in his mind? It's only the things that he has said. But if this is his idea of creating this God-ordained uh, Mother Russia that extends in all those countries, is it reasonable to think that if we allowed him to have uh, one third of Ukraine, he would stop? That's the issue. We should probe, try and probe the man's uh, the probe the man's um, thinking. And it, it's not simply it's not simply corruption. There is a kind of a higher spiritual issue here. Uh, that is a very murderous thing because I think that Adolf Hitler had that as well as the Nazi beliefs and so forth. So there are bigger forces here. Thank you, John. Richard, any more thoughts? Uh, just one more thing. I, I had on my mind, I, I felt like 
um, uh, talking about like children and children affected in war and stuff. And my prayer would be that the next generation of Ukrainian children would would um, that God would use what what the devil's meant for for bad against them to to encourage you know through through their experiences and through the 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 what's happened to them for, for revival use the next generation to grow the next generation up um for for a new, like a new generation of peace but not just not yeah. just that for for a movement in Ukraine yeah very good john what are your thoughts on that no, well, I think that's what the young people were saying. We've got to get rid of the Soviet mentality. We've mm. got to, they were saying we've got to have a Christian mentality mm. uh, in which there is freedom, encouragement, and health for the growing up of the younger generations. Absolutely. We, we have to be looking after the children. And they, they express that practically because they're the ones who are going to the orphanages and these other areas right now in helping the children in their distress. Absolutely. Now, John, our time's almost up. Uh, Richard, thank you so much for your call. Uh, John, before we go, are you able to lead us in prayer for Ukraine and Russia uh, in uh, in, this, in the middle of this conflict? All right, I'll, I'll try and keep my emotions under control. It's a very <laughs> sad business. So, okay, Lord, we are, we pray. We, we you, you tell us to pray for those in authority and we pray for those authority in Russia. We pray for Damascus intervention in the lives of Mr. Putin and the other people who are uh, propagating not only this war against Ukraine, but are oppressive in, in other areas. We understand this concept, a spiritual concept, uh, and uh, this is a spiritual war in that sense. So we uphold them for your healing, your intervention, your conversion. Then regarding Ukraine, may this war stop. May this needless, awful suffering stop. And Lord, may you empower your your people there, the Christian church, to be able to reach out even more effectively, even more, more powerfully, to bring about a new mentality, gone are the ways of, of the corruption, but a new mortality with a higher authority, which is, of course, yourself. May this happen in Ukraine. May you raise and and save and uh, liberate and encourage the people in that country. Amen. Amen. Well, Professor John Whitehall, it's been a privilege to uh, catch up with you today and hear about uh, the incredible work uh, you've been doing in Ukraine. And I uh, wanted to say thank you for joining us on Vision. God bless. Thank you. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.